0: We are up to chapter 5, mission number 22. Call me Shi'esh biado, Shloshad vareem halalu. Any person who has these three traits, humi tamidav shalvrama vinu. He is a disciple, a student of Abraham, our forefather. Ushloshad vareem achirim. And anyone who has three different traits, italmidav shall shalvrama rasha. That person is a disciple of Bilam, the rasha, the wicked one. Ayin Tova, a good eye. Viruach Nemucha, and a spirit that is humble. Nefesh Shefala, and a soul that is low, that is weak. Tamidav shel Avram That is the markers. Those are the markers of a disciple of Abraham. Whereas Ayin ra'ah, someone who has a bad eye. Ruach Ravoa, an arrogant spirit. Nefesh rochava, and a greedy soul. A rapacious soul. That those people who have those qualities are students. Tamidav shel Bilam Students of Bilam, the wicked. Ma bein Tamidav shel Avraham Avinu, Tamidav shel Bilam marashad. What are the differences between the students of Abraham and the students of Bilam? Tamidav shel Avraham Avinu. The disciples of Abraham, our forefather. O ba la mazeh, v'nochlim la They eat in this world. They benefit. From their deeds in this world, and they inherit all of the world to come. Shenemer, as it says, quotes a verse in Scripture, in Proverbs, lehanchil yesh, to bequeath to those who love me, yesh, a possession. amale, and I will fill their storehouses in this world. Aval talmidav but the disciples of Bilaam the wicked one, gehennem, they inherit Gehenim, barshachas and they descend into the well of destruction, which translates as, And you, O God, will lower them into the well of destruction, men of bloodshed and deceit, they will not live out half their days, but as for me, I will trust in you. Okay, so we have a mission here, comparing and contrasting Bilaam, and Abraham and Bilam and his students versus Abraham's students. So, just some background: Who is Bilam? Bilam is an interesting figure who appears in the Book of Numbers. There's a whole parsha dedicated to him and all the events that happened to him. That's Parsha's Balak, with the exception of a few verses in the, at the end of the parsha. The whole parsha is told from the vantage point of Bilam and the enemies of the Jews. Bilam was a sorcerer who was hired to try and curse the juggernaut that was the Jewish people. The Talmud tells us that there are four people who lose their portion of the world to come, and one of those people is Bilam And in our Mishnah, we're told the three hallmarks of the students of Abraham, and that is presented in contrast to the three characteristics of the students of Bilaam. And the commentaries expand this concept by saying that all positive traits were found in Abraham and in Abraham's students and all negative traits are coalesced in Bilam, Almost as if saying that the three, the three traits of our Mishnah, having a good eye and a, a humble spirit and not to be so desirous of themes and materialism, those themes really encompass all good character, whereas all the negative character is found in Bilam and his students. It seems from the Torah in this Mishnah that there's an emphasis to study the character of Bilam, because never in history do we have a character so corrupt and so evil and someone who has all the negative traits that if you study Bilam, you know exactly what not to do. Almost the exact opposite of Abraham – Everything Abraham did, you can emulate, even though I will warn you, if you hear a voice telling you to go sacrifice your son, don't listen to that voice, because you're not quite Abraham. But in general, Abraham's character is one that is so laudatory and noble, everything that he did, we're going to emulate. And Bilam, although he portrayed himself as being very righteous and noble, was completely corrupt and wicked. Now, it's interesting that our Mishnah contrasts these two people, Bilam and Abraham, of course they did not overlap in their story Bilam is the prophet of the gentiles and he tried to curse the Jewish people when they were being led by Moshe yet the Mishnah does not contrast Bilam to Moshe rather Bilam to the founder of the nation to Abraham And if you look at the two stories of Bilam versus Abraham in the Torah you find that their stories are very similar of course, and opposite. So, for example, Abraham is told, those who bless you, I will bless, and those who curse you, I will curse. That's the promise of God to Abraham in chapter 12 of Genesis. When Bilam is being hired to curse the Jewish people by Balak, king of Moab, he says a very similar thing. Those who you curse are cursed, and those who you bless are blessed another similarity that we see between these two people. They both went on a three-day journey, accompanied by two lads. They both woke up really early to do it, and they both saddled their own donkey. Abraham travels for three days on a donkey to go sacrifice Isaac in the Binding of Isaac episode. Bilaam travels also on a donkey to go curse the Jewish people. And both of these journeys began with the leader of the mission, the protagonist of the story, the villain, if you will, of the story in the case of, of Balaam, waking up early. They're so excited to do it. Abram is excited to listen to God. Balaam is excited to try to curse the nation of God. And they saddle their own donkey. In fact, Rashi tells us that this shows how people's emotions conquer their intellect. Abraham, he was the richest person in the world. He had servants, endless amount of servants. Yet, who saddled his donkey? He did it himself. Why did he do it himself? Because he had so much love for God that that emotion of love conquered the normal course Of things. Normally, he should hire, have someone, one of his underlings do the work for him. But love conquers the order. Similarly, Billam was very rich. He too had plenty of people who would do his bidding. Nevertheless, he woke up early and saddled his own donkey. Because hatred also corrupts the order, it makes people do crazy things. So they both take these very long and consequential trips traveling with lads and are both going to pray and one is praying to save the people of Sodom. One is praying really relentlessly to spare his enemies. One is praying to spare the wicked. And on the flip side, Balaam is praying relentlessly to destroy the righteous to destroy his enemy. Abraham, after his prayer is unsuccessful, he walks away. He realizes that this is a fate accompli. He cannot save the people of Sodom and Gomorrah. Billam constantly tries to find a different place. He is moving from mountaintop to mountaintop because in his view, he blames the circumstances. And if you look at the way the the kind of the failed prayer of Abraham versus the failed prayer of Billam is portrayed in the Torah, Abraham shavlim komo, Abraham returned to his place, whereas Billam tried to change the place. Another interesting similarity between, or really similarity, but in the opposite way, mirror images of the story of Billam versus Abraham. Abraham travels on a donkey. Or as they say in Texas, a donkey. I was once in a class and they said, it was a donkey. I said, no, th- what does that mean? Oh, a donkey. To me, it sounds the same. I'm from New York still, right? The, the, uh, <laughs> the vowels are kind of interchangeable. If you know what I mean, it's a donkey here, not a donkey. Okay. Noted. So Abraham travels on a donkey and Bilam travels on a donkey and Moshe travels on a donkey and Messiah, we're told, is going to come to us on a donkey. And this symbolizes the greatness of these people. The three greatest, most transformational people of our history are Abraham, Moses, Moshe, and Messiah. They herald the three revelations. Revelation number one, Genesis. Revelation number two, Sinai. Revelation number three, Messiah. There's three epics of our history, each really dominating 2,000 years. And Abraham is the one who kind of exposes the notion of God in the world. Moshe is the one who brings down Torah. Messiah is the one who brings about universality of knowledge of God. And each one of them, we're told, rides a donkey. And Bilam he rides a donkey. Meaning that on a certain level, he was equivalent to these absolute giants. Yet there's a difference. He has a conversation with his donkey, quite memorably, as you remember from the book of Numbers. Moreover, the Talmud says that he had a romantic relationship with his donkey. What does this all mean? So just tell us that the Hebrew word for physicality and the Hebrew word for a donkey are the same letters, chamor and chomer, implying that the donkey is almost representative of physicality. Abraham and Moses and Messiah are riding a donkey. They're in complete control of their physicality. They have the reins. They're not subject to the whims of their physicality. Billam, he was riding his donkey, but then he started talking to it. He engaged with the physicality. We're told, again, that he actually had a romantic relationship with his donkey. Meaning, again, the, the lesson is, the principle is, that he was not someone who was in charge, he was almost equivalent, he was enmeshed with his physicality. Now, when our Mishnah tells us that these people, Abraham on one hand, and Bill on the other hand, are opposites, it's essentially telling us we have to study the characteristics of Billam and contrast that with Abraham to find out exactly what we should and what we should not do. Moreover, the whole Parsha of Parsha's Balak in the book of Numbers that's dedicated to the story of Billam and to the ill-fated decision that he made to curse the Jewish people, that in effect or that in essence, is a study of the character of Billam to know exactly what we should not do. And we're told, Abraham, he represents a good eye, a humble spirit, and he's happy. He has a content appetite. Whereas Billam has an evil eye and a haughty spirit and a rapacious appetite. Now what exactly these things represent is a major dispute amongst the commentators we're going to share some of the ideas and some of the lessons that they teach us. So first of all, we're told that Abram was someone who was so generous. He was so kind-hearted. He was so giving of what he had to other people. He has three people who are pagans or at least appear to be pagans, hungry, weary travelers, and he makes stakes for strangers. Who do you know that makes steaks for strangers? People want to give, give them food, of course. We have an impulse for generosity and hospitality. But to take three separate animals to give the best of the best to strangers, not only that, to idolaters, that is a level of goodness and benevolence that Abraham is in a league of his own in. He is someone with such a good eye for other people. He is so generous for the people. He's willing to give the best of the best for the people. Moreover, Abraham is someone who is not desirous and not lustful. Not only wants to give others, he himself is content with what he has. One of the commentators points out here that Abraham had no trouble sending away Hagar. He had only a problem. It was only painful for him to send away Ishmael. If you think about it, Hagar was essentially married to Abraham. When God says, send her away, he has no problem. He is not lustful or desirous in any way. In fact, the Talmud tells us that Abraham is one of three people who completely defeated his Yetzirah, who completely defeated his evil nation, and there was nothing left. It had no control over him. He was the one who had the reins. To the donkey, the donkey had no control over him. By contrast, Bilam, what is his solution after his four attempts at cursing the Jewish people fails? He tries multiple times to curse the Jewish people and he fails again and again. And then he gives advice to Balak, king of Moab. He tells Balak, the god of these people, Hates promiscuity. Why don't you commission the daughters of Moab and Midian to go proposition the Jewish men, causing them to sin? And once you get them to sin with promiscuity, with immorality, you now have an opening to get them to do idolatry as well. And once they lose their kind of divine shield, then they are vulnerable to whatever you want to do to them. So the commentaries point out that only someone who is so personally immoral, so personally perverted, only someone like that would come up with such advice to try to cause the Jewish people to sin. And again, like our sages just tell us, he had a romantic relationship with his donkey. He was obviously someone of very low moral character. Now, when Billam is hired to go curse the Jewish people, Balak, the king of Moab, sends a first cohort of dignitaries to try to woo Bilam to come go curse the Jewish people. And he has a dream where God tells him, don't do it. Don't go. And he wakes up in the morning and he tells the people, I'm sorry, can I, can I, I can't go with you. I can't go with you, implying, because you are not dignified enough, you're not respectable enough, you sent me the undersecretary not the secretary and therefore I'm not going to go with you. And therefore Balak has to send another cohort of even more important dignitaries to try to woo Billam. Part of the character of Billam is that he would only associate with the highest people. He had a what we would call today, classism. Who do you associate with? You're a small person. You're not wealthy. You're not powerful. I don't see you. I look right over you. That is the characteristic of Billam. Who does Abraham interact with? The low people, the simple people, the hungry people, the weary people, the travelers, the stragglers, Abraham is someone who does not have this haughty spirit of saying, oh, only the most important people am I going to deal with. Abraham wants others to flourish. He's happy with their successes. The way he relates to his enemies is quite noble. Whereas Bilam, he prays for the destruction of the Jewish people. Abraham has no envy. Abraham is not desirous of things. When Abraham has an opportunity... To amass all of the whole world's wealth, he spearheads the victory of World War. All of the booty was his. He could have essentially conquered all the wealth and power of the world. And he responds, I don't want not a string or a shoestrap of this booty. He's not desirous of physical things. He's not interested in materialism. Whereas Bilam, he has a rapacious desire for other people's stuff. When he tells the people he can't go with them, he says, if Balak will give me a palace full of gold and silver, I cannot violate the word of God. Rashi tells us that this shows us how much he actually desired wealth and power. I am, in fact, worthy and deserving of having a palace full of gold and silver. That is the characteristic of Bilaam. Now one of the commentaries here says says something very fascinating. He says that what indeed is underpinning the differences between Abraham and Bilaam? Abraham is someone who he's very happy with with his lot. Whatever he has is, is good. Other people he wants to give more to. He wants to benefit other people as well. He's not envious of the goodness of other people. Where does this come from? Naturally, and even small children, they want more, and then someone else takes their toys, and suddenly they're desirous of those toys. Yet Abraham is operating with this completely upside-down way of looking at the world. Whatever he has is plenty, and other people don't have enough. So the commentator points out, the Chassid Yavits, he says that someone who has this quality, it's evident that they are operating as a soul. What matters to the soul is the heavenly agenda. It's the heavenly coffers. The soul cares about the eternal world. The matters of this world are inconsequential. It's immaterial. You're here for 70, 80, 90 years, and that's it. You just need enough fuel here to survive your journey. That's the attitude of the soul. Abram had the attitude of the soul, and therefore the things here, it didn't matter to him so much. He wants other people to be happy. Let them be happy. Let them have plenty. To him, it just it didn't strike him as being important. Abram has tremendous humility. When these three travelers come to his door, he says, come, come, join me. Come to my servant. I'm your servant. He calls people to come to his house. He's their servant. He compares himself to dust and ashes. Now, again, it's important to remember when we're talking about Abraham, he wasn't this weak, feeble person. Quite the contrary. He was a ferocious debater. He was someone that would kind of spread the word of monotheism throughout the world. And he would gather crowds and persuade them. He was very influential. He was very sharp. He would engage in polemics. And he wasn't a pushover. Nevertheless, he didn't have arrogance. He recognized that everything came from God. And he was able to view other people in a positive light. So essentially what we're being told over here is that all the good character is found in Abraham and all the bad character is found in Bilham. And we have to make a choice. Who do we want to emulate? Do we want to follow the ways of Abraham? Do we want to be a student of Abraham? Or do we want Bilham to be our master? Maybe the most amazing part of this Mishnah is that all of us, you know, Abraham lived, I don't know, 3,700 years ago, a long time ago. We can still be his student. His academy, Abraham's academy, is still taking in new applicants. What does it take? What are the criteria? What are the requirements to be a student of Abraham? All you need to have is sterling character, goodness wanting other people to flourish, humility, kindness, benevolence. That's all it takes. And you too can be a student of Abraham. I did see an amazing comment in the Sfasemes. He says, if you look at Billam's story, it does imply, if you look at it just in isolation, you take little snippets, little quotes from Balaam's story, you can learn a lot of great lessons. For example, he exhibits faith. He exhibits submission to God. He says, I can't do anything against the will of God. I'm powerless against God. Whatever God puts in my mouth, that's what I shall say. If you read these quotes in isolation, you say, wow, Balaam a really great guy. What an amazing person. What valuable lessons we can learn from Balaam. And you know what? That's true the content of a lot of the things that Bilaam said are just, are correct. But you have to be very careful who your teacher is. Just because the content of the message is is good, is proper, is correct, if Bilaam is your teacher, you will inherit Gehenom. Our sages tell us that, in fact, this is what we just read recently in the Haftorah from the book of Malachi. Who should you seek Torah from? Someone who is as righteous and as kind and as pious as an angel. If someone's like that, if your teacher's like an angel, then you study Torah from him. If your teacher's not like an angel, then you don't want anything to do with him. You don't want to learn in the academy of Bilam. Because yes, the lessons themselves may be accurate in isolation, but that is a fast path towards arriving at a very dark place. What are the results of these academies? Where do the students of Abraham end up? And where do the students of bilam end up? Bilam we're told the students of bilam end up in a well of destruction. These are men of bloodshed and deceit. Not a good place to be. Whereas the students of Abraham, they flourish in this world, but of course, their ultimate reward is in the world to come. Now, the verse that our Mishnah brings is "Lahanchil leohavai yesh." This is a verse like we mentioned in Proverbs chapter eight. God will bequeath to those who love Him. Yesh, yesh means a possession. Says the Mishnah in the end of the book of Uksin. In the future, the Almighty will give every tzaddik 310 worlds. The reward for the righteous, every righteous person, is 310 worlds. So the whole world, the whole world's yours, that times 310, which is pretty nifty, pretty cool. And every tzaddik is going to end up with 310 worlds. Why is there a specific number 310 worlds? Where does that number come from? So one of the explanations is, you know, how many mitzvahs are there? If you count all the mitzvahs in the Torah, how many mitzvahs do you have? You have 613. 613 is a very important number. That's how many mitzvahs we have. But the truth is, there are seven more rabbinic mitzvahs. So the total amount of mitzvahs that we have are actually 620. Half of 620 is 310. A person who's righteous does all six hundred and twenty mitzvos, and therefore merits six hundred and twenty worlds, because every mitzvah is a whole world. But the problem is, is that you have to give up half of it. Half of your mitzvos or half of your worlds go to all the people who helped you get there. We have a concept called a yisachar and Zavulan agreement. Two brothers. One studies Torah and one supports that financially, supports that endeavor financially. The people who support the endeavor, they take half the worlds and therefore every tzaddik ends up with 310 worlds. It's a pretty good bargain, this Mishnah. We're told we can still be students of Abraham, we can have an amazing life over here and we can merit 310 worlds in the afterlife or The other option before us, we can be a miserable chap like Billam, have no friends in this world and end up in a very, very dark and awful place of punishment in the next world. And we, of course, should choose our world and our master, our teacher. We should choose that very wisely. I think of a listening email address is rabbiwolby at gmail.com.